0: Amen. Thanks, Stuart. Oh, wow. Good morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been following the theme uh, of when, uh, when God made you. And um, starting with Stuart a couple of weeks back um, when he talked about how God made us. Uh, and then uh, Gareth last week on God made you well. And we're now going to spend some time um, looking at God made you on purpose. Uh, getting some understanding of why God made us and uh, what our purpose is. And I've picked a couple of the purposes uh, that we found in the Bible. And, uh, and I'm going to focus in on those today because those are the ones that I feel um, I believe God wanted me to focus in on for this. Um, and as I was praying about what I, I believe God wanted me to, to share today, um, I was reminded of some of the great weddings Uh, that we've seen over the last year or so um, at TWCF or or with TWCF family and uh, last summer we saw um, Jack and Joe de Klerk married uh, and then this year we've seen Kristen and Nushi get married and uh, and also Luke and Amy get married and um, before I was working at TWCF I had the pleasure of working with Giles and Andy uh, during the run-up to their respective daughters' weddings to their husbands and enjoying in the celebrations on the actual day as well. And um, there's nothing quite like seeing people plan weddings. And uh, I get to, got to see a small glimpse of all three um, arrangements, and, um, particularly with Giles and Andy, which was amusing sometimes. And, uh, but I got to know quite a lot of the arrangements, and um, just from being in the same room as them. Um, and, um, yeah, it was excitement, you know, hearing about what food was coming and, you know, all of the celebrations. And the excitement just built and built and built. And, uh, and then there was the actual day. And um, I remember sitting over here and the, the groom was patiently waiting in the sanctuary for, for the father to bring him the bride. And the bride was eagerly waiting for the father to take her arm and lead her... Uh, to the groom, and um, the groom had been eagerly waiting for a time where he can finally um, be with his bride, and they can look each other in the eye and make promises, and, um, you know, a covenant with each other, um, lifelong promises, where they just, until death do they part. And um, uh, particularly with Andy and Amy, I remember as as Andy was walking Amy up to to Luke, and slowly and deliberately up the aisle, I, I was getting a sense of excitement. And uh, it's something that I get with a lot of weddings because I get a sense that there's something bigger going on and, um, the, than just a wedding between two people, which is great anyway. Um, but what really grabs me is a part in the service where the pastor or vicar taking the service reminds us through a Bible verse, uh, and it's this one. It's, um, it's out of Genesis and Ephesians. It's mentioned in it. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And it it just sets my heart on fire. It just seems amazingly significant about what's going on. And um, uh, the the reason is, um, the first couple, Adam and Eve, were given to each other in marriage. Uh, And then Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, um, talks about marriage, but says that marriage is a temporary picture of something far more permanent. And um, it's significant, I believe, because at the heart, for me, of the marriage ceremony, are God's purposes revealed for all mankind? Um, and the good news is you don't need to be married to, to understand those purposes um, or for the purposes to be fulfilled. It's, it's, it's just the marriage c- uh, ceremony is a, a, a good picture of this, if you like. So I'll read the verse again and add in verse 32 of Ephesians. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then verse 32 says this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So Paul is putting forward that from Adam and Eve, the event uh, event of marriage of husband and wife is in fact meant to be a picture of Christ and his church. And we'll come back to that concept later on um, as we start to look at why we were made and for what purpose. Um, But to get us going on this, I want to start right at the beginning of the Bible where God created the world, and pick up a few key points um, through the Bible as history is lived out, and go go right through to uh, the final book, the Book of Revelation. Um, it won't take long. It's a, it's a, a real helicopter view um, of the Bible, but in doing so, I believe we can discover God's purpose for the world and for us. Um, it's it's going to be a slightly longer way of getting to a simple truth. Um, But I want to take some time to work through it systematically with you because history of the world bears this truth out. It's a fact with depth and meaning um, that adds some foundations uh, for the simple truth that we're going to discover to rest on. Um, And we've got a a fair amount to fit in um, in around 25 minutes. So um, I'll get started. Um, So I want to start with reflecting back uh, to Stuart a couple of weeks ago um, where he touched on uh, Adam and Eve in the garden in the book of Genesis. Um, Adam and Eve were created by God for a relationship with him that glorifies him. They were created uh, to enjoy being with God and to walk with him and talk with him uh, until they made a decision that went against the simple rule that God had put in place. Um, And uh, through that, sadly, um, brought into, into the world uh, uh, something that would affect uh, generations to come uh, and affect their offspring. Um, so, uh, since then, the relationship between God and mankind um, has needed fixing. And, uh, and Genesis is the first place where God promises uh, a redeemer a messiah or a saviour to uh, pay the price for the wrong they've done and, and pay the price to restore people's relationship with God. And Genesis not only tells us of our relationship with God that broke, but how we relate to each other, and even the relationship between people and God's creation uh, has broken. Since that fall of man in, the e- in, in Eden, all is broken. All is in need of redemption. But it doesn't change God's original purpose for men and women. To be in a relationship with him that glorifies him, that is to put him in his rightful place over our lives and uh, to desire to live with him in an intimate relationship. Um, the fall of man just meant there was a, um, a problem created, a, a split in the relationship that, that needed fixing. So that was creation and moving on in our journey towards Revelation, God chose a man called Abraham saying that he would make his descendants as many as the grains of sand on the beach and the stars in the sky. And through Abraham, the Redeemer would come to pay the price for the sins of mankind and um, draw people from every nation and tribe and and tongue um, back to God. And Abraham would in fact be the start, the father of a great nation. Then in Isaiah 49, God um, speaks and gives a purpose why he made the nation of Israel. He says, oh, we'll also make you a light to the nations so the world might be saved. So that through Adam and Eve, sin came into the world. There was a promise of a redeemer. Then God chose descendants of one man, Abraham, to raise a nation of chosen people who would somehow be a light to the nations that so all the world might be saved. All to draw people back to himself. Um, to create a chosen people, chosen for a purpose. The purpose of having a relationship with God. And through prophets and stories and history and biblical poetry, God's plan and purpose to create a people for himself was revealed. And his plan to send a redeemer or a messiah through the Jewish people came clearer and clearer. Then in fulfillment to the prophecies, Jesus is born in Bethlehem to a virgin called Mary. And Jesus grew up and after his baptism and 40 days in the desert, word about him was spreading and Jesus went to the synagogue uh, to, to read part of a scripture And uh, it revealed in that scripture that he read uh, his purpose. And he read part of Isaiah 61. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he said, Today in your hearing this scripture is fulfilled. Proclaiming he was the Messiah, God's anointed here to set people free from the darkness of sin, to bridge and heal the divide between God and people. And later on in Luke's account of this, Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he was saying there's good news. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom that was promised centuries before is coming. And there's a way open to know God and walk with him that has been closed since that since Adam And as Jesus' ministry unfolded, it became clear that the prophecies of the Messiah dying for his people uh, were also to happen. And that didn't surprise Jesus. When Jesus was predicting his death on the cross, he said, for this purpose, I came to this hour. He knew his purpose, to bring redemption, to create a people who can walk again in a God-honoring relationship with God, whose sins were paid for uh, and have been given a new life in a new kingdom for eternity. So we're, we're carrying on this journey uh, from creation to, revolution, uh, to revelation, this, this overview of history. And in the book of John, chapter 18, 37, um, a little later on, Jesus is held in court uh, in front of Pilate and is asked directly if he's a king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, i.e., yes. But if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, says Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the, into the world excuse me, is to testify to the truth. So a brief recap on where we are so far. We're looking at God's purpose for our lives and looking at some points in the history of the world. And the story so far is this. We started with creation and God making man to walk with him and fill the earth then sin entered the world, breaking our intended relationship with God. And throughout Old Testament times, God's preparing a way back for people for a right relationship with him. Through to Jesus paying the price for our sins, allowing the way back to our true purpose we were created for, a right relationship with God. That would then involve us filling the earth with people made in his image, all glorifying him and enjoying life with him. And that's where we got so far. And we can see this started with a small assembly of of God's people, a sect of Jews, um, who found their Messiah, found their purpose, and and numbers started to grow. And then as a surprise to them, Paul in uh, his letter to the Romans, chapter 15, uh, explains to them from scriptures in Isaiah and Samuel and the Psalms and Deuteronomy that God is calling all peoples to glorify him, including those considered unclean before, the Gentiles. And here we start to see that the plan of God was far bigger than one people group in the Middle East and included the whole world having an opportunity to have a relationship with him. Um, Suddenly, people like you and I are included in the purpose. And what an amazing opportunity and privilege. In one of his letters, Paul explains the inclusion of Gentiles like this. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs, one of those is Abraham that we mentioned earlier, might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Again, it says rejoice. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And it seems that God's people, as promised to Abraham, would number the number of grains on the uh, grains of sand on the beach, or the stars in the sky, as uh, suddenly a relationship with Jesus would mean um, that the number of God's people would indeed be in their billions. And Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, then starts to explain God's um, how God's purpose gives us purpose, and what these purposes mean for us on earth now. And he says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is calling people back to himself and building a living household for his kingdom. Precious to him. A holy people set aside, offering their lives to him. And Peter goes on um, and and says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That same darkness that Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61, um, release from the darkness for prisoners, um, that, that light to the nations that's come from Israel, um, that the nations might be saved. Peter says he's here, and he's building his church. And it doesn't stop there. As part of, our, of the calling, our purpose is to be radiant, to shine for him, to shine into the darkness in the nations, And be the voice of Jesus calling people out of darkness and into his light. It's part of our relationship with God that we should do this. Many of you know very well that Jesus, uh, before he returned to heaven, uh, gave us what is traditionally called the Great Commission. And the Oxford Dictionary uh, defines commission as uh, an instruction, command or role given to a personal group. In other words, it's purpose. Jesus gives each person a purpose while they're on earth. Firstly, to know him and then to make him known. The Great Commission is this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus enables us to fully live out the purpose of having a relationship with God, and he gives us an additional purpose of encouraging others to know him too and making disciples of all nations. And even more than that, he promised to be with us while we go about the purpose he's given us. God is building his church with purpose. All of this process in history was to restore that which was lost, the relationship with God that we were created for. Since before creation, God knew that that if he wanted to create a people that Uh, wanted him, that he would need to give them a choice to have a relationship with him or not. He knew from creation that he would need to pay the price for their sins so they could live in relationship with him. None of it was a surprise to God. It had to be that way because he's a loving father and wants his family to choose to live with him, not to force them. Did you know that Jesus chose to die for you before the world was even created? He was and he is part of plan A. From before creation, Jesus was destined to be born to die for people's sins. And here's how we know this. The book of Revelation at the end of the Bible tells us about another book that's in heaven. And the book in heaven has a strange and not particularly catchy name. But it's this, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The book of Revelation reveals there is a book in heaven with names in, names of those who gave their lives to Jesus, And this book existed before the creation of the world. The reason the world was created was for God to have a relationship with people who glorify him. And the ultimate way of glorifying God is to glorify Jesus in all we do. In other words, reducing it down. The world was created to glorify Jesus. And since creation, Jesus was destined to be slain, to die, to restore the relationship with God and create this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it means this, we were created in the world to have a right relationship with Him and to glorify Him. And these two purposes, God's purpose for the world and our purpose in the world, intertwine beautifully, gathering more and more people to Him to do the same. So we've gone, in this first section, from Genesis to Revelation, the beginning of the Bible through to the end. But it doesn't quite end there. Let's stay in the book of Revelation a little bit longer and uh, head over to Revelation 21, where we see John's account of a vision from God. And the vision, vision is this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from from a throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And like a lot of visions in the Bible, they can be hard to understand, but there's some basic stuff we can take away from this. In the vision, we see the relationship with God living with his people again. We see the breakdown in relationships between people that happened um, at the fall restored. We see mankind's relationship with creation restored. We see the removal of sin, pain, death, the curse of sin since the fall reversed and removed forever. I want to take us to one more place in Revelation, just before the moment where God makes all things new. And it's to this amazing passage where there's a cry out in heaven. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then the angel said to John, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb the culmination of everything in this age, uh, is that there's a wedding, which the writer explains, we've, as a church, we've made ourselves ready for. Can you see how it all hangs together? It's quite deep. I'm, I'll summarize one more time. We've seen that God made the world to glorify Jesus and created Adam and Eve to live in relationship with him. Adam and Eve chose to sin and created a divide between God and man. Jesus came and died and paid the price for our sin and those who chose to turn to him and give their lives to him to glorify him in all that they do form part of what the Bible calls the church. Right at the beginning of this talk, I read out a scripture where Paul relates to um, church um, being the bride of Christ and the church is made up of people, living stones, as Peter put it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, trusting in him, then you're part of the bride of Christ. The bride that the book of Revelation describes as having made herself ready for the groom, Jesus. So here we are. Like the brides we mentioned earlier, Joe, Anushi, and Amy, we're, we're waiting to be finally joined to our groom. We can see him up ahead in the distance, and we're, we're walking towards our groom for a more permanent marriage than any earthly marriage. I'm reflecting back on those three weddings again all the things we saw at the wedding the engagement, the anticipation for meeting, the groom eagerly waiting for his bride in the sanctuary the father giving the bride to the groom the beautiful bride excited to meet her groom the covenant between them, the supper after the marriage I would suggest can all be related to that picture of Christ in the church that Paul wrote about in the book of Ephesians that we read about earlier And we're in a place at the moment where we can catch glimpses of the groom waiting. Jesus waiting for us. That groom that died for his bride. The groom that died to beautify his bride. To make us spotless, radiant, hope-filled, trusting in him. And hopefully we're that bride that wants to do all she can before meeting her groom finally face to face and gazing into his eyes and him into hers. But I believe there's work to do, folks, and Herein lies our purpose, my purpose, your purpose. The church is the bride of Christ, but there's more wedding preparation to do. There's more people to invite. There's more work to do before that day comes, whenever it comes. He's looking for a beautiful bride, spotless, washed clean, dedicated to him. A bride that has been in the preparation of meeting him, that has prepared herself and has reached out to others to come and meet the groom bride that has followed the groom's instructions on what to do to prepare to go and make disciples of all nations to live for Jesus, the groom in waiting to have turned from sinful ways rejected sin, repented, given their lives to him being living stones, part of his church a holy nation declaring his praises and drawing others to him so with all this in mind Uh, I want to look at how the bride, you, me, the church here around the world can prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ, the bridegroom. Thankfully, Jesus gives us three examples of bridal preparation. I want to take a a high-level view of three parables, which uh, Jesus tells tells to help us understand uh, and ensure that we're preparing for him coming back in the right way. And they're all in Matthew 25. They're the the parable of the lamps, the parable of the servants, and the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I'll summarize the parables and just take um, one point from each. Um, And and these points are to be placed on the foundational uh, understanding we've got from the Genesis to Revelation part of this morning. So very briefly... Point one, maintain your eagerness to meet Jesus. Matthew 25, the parable of the the virgins. I'll I'll summarize it. There were 10 virgins waiting um, for the arrival of the bridegroom and he was delayed and they fell asleep. Late in the night he arrived and only half of the women had oil left in their lamps to welcome the groom. The other half went to get more oil, but it was too late and they were locked out of the wedding. And that's a two-line summary and you can read it fully in Matthew 25, but basically I believe Jesus is saying he wants the bride to be eagerly waiting to celebrate his coming. Half of the women had used up the oil in their lamps, half had saved their oil. What does it mean? Well, the lamps lit the way for the procession of the incoming groom. They're a celebration. And I believe the heart of what Jesus is getting at is he wants a bride that is still eagerly awaiting his return. I think one of the, the only ways we can eagerly awaiting his return is to be actively involved in in things, in lives that need transformation and that need the coming of the king to make things new I'll explain why, if we're we're just static Christians going about our daily business and we've lost our passion for the king for Jesus and his return, then it could be a warning sign for us folks a warning of a lack of engagement still living out part of our old life maybe We should have things that we pray for. People we get alongside, the the broken, the hurting, the defenseless, the, the injured, the abused, and be able to encourage them. Saying, don't worry, the groom is coming. Jesus is going to make all things new. And whilst you're broken and hurting, he'll be there for you. And you can feel his presence and his spirit can change you. His goodness never fails. And whatever happens in this life, if you're broken and hurting... Turn to him and he'll heal heal you. If you're sort of, "Ah, yeah, he's coming, but so what? Has your oil run out? Can I urge you to get some more before it's too late? Oil is frequently a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And I would urge you to be refilled with the Spirit to give you more of a passion for what's on Jesus' heart and to give you the power to live out the purpose he gives you groom in Jesus' parable seems to base the acceptance of the women into the wedding supper on how they valued his coming. Are you eager? Point one, maintain your eagerness to meet Jesus. Point two, Jesus, the groom, is looking for a heart that is trusting him. The next parable Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 is the parable of the bags of gold. Again, in summary, um, there was a master who was going away and he called three servants to himself and gave them some gold, Um, each getting the amount the master considered they were able to handle. And then the master went away for some time. And just like the groom in the last parable, when he returned, the, the servants presented back to the master what they'd achieved with what he'd left them. One had a lot, another less, but the last servant had buried his gold, declaring that the master was a hard man and that he was afraid of him. He showed a wrong relationship with the master and this affected his work in the time before the master returned. Do you fear God's punishment? If so, you need to know him differently. You see, Jesus died for your sins, so you need not fear judgment anymore. The relationship with the master changes and you don't need to fear his judgment anymore. He gives us things to get on with. Are you seeing fruit? It's not about amount. It's about attitude. If you have a heart yielded to serving the master while he's away, then he'll bless your work. And on his return, no matter if you have a lot or a little to offer him, you'll hear these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And if you're living fearful of God's judgment today, then let's talk. Come and see Stuart, myself, one of the elders, life group leaders after the service. we will tell you about what Jesus has done to pay the price for you and pray with you to give your life to him. And you'll have a different relationship with him from that point. you will come out of the darkness that we spoke about earlier, living for him a changed life. His spirit will repair you, restore you, rebuild you, make you a new person. Point two, Jesus the groom is looking for a heart that is trust in him. Point three, Jesus is looking for those who live in the reality of the kingdom before the kingdom fully comes. So this third parable in Matthew 25, it's titled uh, The Parable of the Sheep and the Goats, and it goes like this. Jesus is talking of a time when he returns and the nations of the world stand before him all people that have lived or are alive at his coming. He divides them, some to his right and some to his left. And in summary, he says to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take my inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. Bridal preparation point number three. Jesus is looking for those who live in the reality of the kingdom before the kingdom fully comes. As the saying goes, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in the kingdom, do as the king does. Yeah? Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Bless strangers. Clothe the ones that need clothes. Visit those in captivity. Not to earn anything. But as a response to the filling of his spirit, the promptings he puts on your heart, uh, out of loving people that he loves. It's not a legalistic style checklist, but a a check on the state of your heart. Are you loving the lost? He does. And I believe he wants us, you, me, to reach them. However you can, in whatever circumstances, you find yourself presented with. I'm going to close with this. If you came back today, would he see you as ready? Can I ask you, have you committed your life to him? Do you know him as your your saviour and as your king? If you haven't, but you know you need to, then come forward, we'll pray with you. Come and step into the purposes you were created for. I believe there are people here today that need to know that they will be his special possession. He'll look after you. He's calling us individually and as a church to live out the purpose for which he came. And I'm concerned we're not ready. I'm concerned we're not ready. He's told us how to prepare to be ready. Do you want to be ready? Have you been prompted today that your your oil has run out? It's run dry. Your passion for Jesus isn't what it used to be. Have you stopped telling others about him? I'd love to pray with you for a fresh filling of his spirit. To equip you for his purpose, you need prayer to be brave to step out and come. Have you forgotten he's coming back or are you fearful of his return? Come, let's pray together. Do you want to increase how you live serving a king who's coming back, then now's the time. I think we have some preparation to do, folks. So when our time on earth draws to a close or if he comes back before, then we're ready. And they'll look at how we've readied ourselves and be pleased. The groom is calling his church, his bride, the church, to glorify him, to live for him, to be beautiful, radiant, hope-filled, power-filled, to be holy and set aside for him, sharing the good news with others, to be readying themselves for the king's return. What do you need to do to prepare?